Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening and God bless. This morning reading comes from Luke 16 verses 1 through 15. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation version. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, What's this I hear about you? Get your report in order, because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, Now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who would give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard all this and scoffed at him. Then he said to them, You like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. So here we are in Luke chapter 16 verses 1 through 15. Will you pray with me? Father God, I say thank you for this opportunity to share a little more about you. May you have your way in this place, in this time, in this moment, so that these words may edify you. I thank you for the opportunity to stand before your people. 
and that I ask for your grace and mercy through these words. Lift us all up so that we may be more in tune with each other and those outside these walls. These things I give over to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So when I first read this, I was like, what? Drama, firings, jobs, money. And then there's Jesus, right? Oh my. And as I started jotting down notes and looking at various commentaries from across centuries, I kept getting met with a warming. This is one of Jesus's most perplexing parables. Or any commentator will tell you that this is a difficult text. Why? Because the text is a bit murky. I want to point out that this parable is set between the parable of the lost son and the parable of the Lazarus and the rich man. With the lost son, we get triumph. With the son being united back to his father. And with Lazarus, not the Lazarus, we get Lazarus's triumph in his place in heaven and no longer begging and being sick. In the end, there's triumph for someone. I think preachers stay away from giving sermons on this parable because on surface, there's no clear triumphant. Thanks, Pastor Emily, for picking this text for me. Also, this parable isn't in the other Gospels, so you cannot cross-check the story with another interpretation. But since I'm the guest preacher, I'm going to go in. So bear with me for the next few minutes, and it is my prayer that something is meaningful to you. This parable reminds me of one of my favorite shows over the last year, Empire. Any Empire viewers? Yes, the show is, if I can borrow a term from my younger cousin, pure wretchedness. If you haven't seen it, let me give you a brief overview of the show. You have Lucius Lyons, played by Terrence Howard, as the CEO of the record label Empire. Lucius is the rich man. Cha-ching. Cha-ching. Lucius is constantly searching to make more money, even at the expense of his own family. He even kills his own cousin just so he doesn't have to pay him any money. And as ratchet and soap opera as the show is, this is a modern day depiction of what we find here in Luke. But before we dive into Luke, we must first ask or remind ourselves, where are we in the larger Luke narrative? Luke, who is credited as the author, is talking to a Greek audience and recounting Jesus's ministry about what we ascribe value to, the meaning of unjust, and how we should treat people, including the poor among us. But it's important to recognize that Luke tells us that Jesus is telling this story to his disciples. In different parables of Luke, Jesus is talking to the whole crowd, or tax collectors, or the Pharisees, or teachers of religious law. So, He's directing this very conversation to the very people who will be responsible for representing him when he is no longer around. Remember, 
Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to the cross. Well, we're reading this today, and if we strive to be his disciples, I think we can take comfort that this parable is meaningful for us too. Now, on to the specific verses. When this chapter opens up, Luke is giving us a very descriptive telling of who is who in the parable and the timing of events. There's the rich man. Nothing else needs to be said. Enter the manager who is handling his affairs. If you were to read the King James Version, this manager is called a steward. So this manager is entrusted with a lot of responsibility. He is a steward of the wealthy man's possessions. Thus, this manager probably had a lot of status in the rich man's fiefdom. Folk know who he is. Then what happens? Well, the rich man gets a report that the manager is wasting his money. That's no different than where we might find ourselves at our jobs. We might be doing fine, working hard, but there might be reports about us that may or may not be true. And then the rich man says, get your report in order because you are going to be fired. So the manager, now shaking in his boots, has to quickly come up with a plan. He says, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So much is happening, right? The manager assumes he is going to take away his job. Forget getting his reporting owner. It's a full throttle desperation action. There was no, I'm about to get another job. There was no, let me go to my other manager friends to live with them. There was no, let me use the money I've saved up and invested or my emergency stash. Why not? Well, he's clearly not the financially independent one. And he clearly has no one to call friends to lean on for support. If we're honest, how many of us would be out on the street pretty soon after we lost our job or had some catastrophic event, like a bad health issue? No need to raise your hand. Just think about it. And so the manager has his straight to the point, honest self-reflection. I'm not strong enough to dig. At first I was like, this dude is just lazy. Upon second reading and meditating though, he recognizes that he doesn't have to strength to do physical labor. And then he says, I'm ashamed to beg. And first, you're probably like, you better beg. Don't be too proud. And you might immediately pass judgment on the manager. But if we look at his position of power he held, do you really expect him to not feel ashamed? He had so much status and losing his job probably crushed his spirit. To bring things up close and personal, when I lost my job, I felt ashamed of going down to collect my unemployment. I felt like I was begging for money that I paid into, like I was getting a handout. This is human, and when you are down and out, especially about a report that might not be true, shame is a feeling that seems natural for things not going as you anticipated. 
that just maybe you might not be good enough, despite all the responsibility you have. Then check this out. The manager gets the aha moment. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he reduces the depths of some of the farmers who are in this tenant farming system where they still owe the king money. In first century Palestine, the rich got rich by exploiting the tenant farming system and having people continue to owe them interest. The steward was the middleman between the landlord and the merchants and tenants in the exchange of goods and services such as buying and selling grain, oil, and crops and collecting rents. If he was able to get an additional take for himself in these transactions, the master didn't mind. In fact, he expected the steward to do so. As long as the master's profits kept rolling in and the student get didn't get too conspicuous in his consumption, the master was fine with the stewards benefiting from each deal. Again, this is a system set up to keep the rich men wealthy and the tenant farmers in a constant cycle of debt. So, by reducing their debts, even by a little bit, the manager is giving them some newfound freedom. And here, he reduces them a lot. Also in first century Palestine, the riskier the commodity, the higher the interest. The interest on oil was 50% because it could easily be spilled or spoiled. The interest on wheat was 20% because it was a more stable commodity. So get this, there is no coincidence that the manager reduced the oil by 50% and the wheat by 20%. He's getting rid of the interest. Aha! Aha! He's leveling the playing field back to parity. And because of the position of the manager, he had the skills to do something like this. Better than the skills of labor or spending his time begging. For those who get confused about numbers, let me break it down another way because this is key. The manager could have taken the money from the interest and lived on it. Instead, he took out his own cut to make a friend out of the person who was in debt. He put a long-term friendship above a short-term monetary gain for himself. The manager subverted the status quo and made it work for everyone. This is genius, right? He did the shrewd thing. And this is where we find ourselves in verses 8 and 9, which are the verses that bring it all together for me. It says, The master commended the dishonest or unjust manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into internal dwellings. What? <laughs> Let me break it down. I think after all those years working for the rich man, the manager learned a few things about subverting the intended order. And the rich man, recognizing that the manager used his power to change the order of things, 
could only sit back and say, well done. The king is also happy because the very people who probably hated the king for putting them in debt are now like, that king probably isn't so bad because he just sent his boy to decrease my debts. So it's a triple win for the king, for the manager, and for the people in debt. I'm impressed with the manager. What a way to get what he wants. But according to the rich man, that's dishonest or unjust. You might feel the same way. Many commentators do. Doesn't the end justify the means? Or does the end justify the means? If you think the manager didn't make a moral decision, you are not alone. But when one uses his or her authority to make past wrongs right, is one really being unjust? I don't think so. I think you're restoring justice and dignity to the very people who are most in need. A greater morality can be served. There are many things we can learn from folk who are also in the world, but not God's disciples. This is the beauty of being human. Even with all the bad from the rich man, the manager learned shrewdness. He learned how to quickly think on his feet. He learned how to make money work for his own purposes. However, many commentators and readers have problems with the fact that the manager was in fact buying their friendship by reducing their debt. This is another issue, but I disagree. I actually think this is how we work in our real lives. It does help to have friends in high places. You'll say, I want to meet that person because you're attracted to something he or she has or their status. But when you get to know them, regardless of your motives in the first place, you build a relationship. You make friends. I think God uses our deficiencies so that when we fall down of our own accord or someone else's, he can reveal things to us. I mean, the manager could have prayed with the people in debt, but they may not have received this. You know this feeling. You need a job and someone says, I'm going to pray for you. And you're thinking, no, I need a hookup. I need some money. I'm not saying not to take prayer, but there is a certain urgency in taking action. And God understands that people like the manager, are in need of real tangible things. Lower debt, getting a job, paying the bills. And sometimes, I know we are the shrewd managers, but other times we're the debtors, like the folk in the text who got their oil and wheat debt reduced. Let's talk about these folks too, because they're also a critical part of the text. These folks just received a free gift and had to do nothing for it. At some point, you too might have received a free gift from someone else's self-interested behavior. I don't know about you, but I'm going to call this God's grace. I know what it feels like because when I was applying to business school for my MBA, right across the midway at Chicago Booth, I was offered financial aid that took care of 50% of the costs. So I would still have $50,000 to pay on the $100,000 and that was just the cost for tuition. 
About a week before I had to make a decision, I'll never forget this. I was walking on another school's campus when I got a phone call from Booth telling me that I would not have to take out loans for the rest of the $50,000 because of the kindness of Richard Wallman. I'm sure you're like, who is Richard Wallman? I was the same way. I did not know his name. He is the man behind the fellowship that provided scholarships to applicants who met a certain level of excellence. Richard had made all his money as CFO of a large public company. Everyone going to Booth is excellent. So to be looked upon favorably for nothing on my own is a blessing. I didn't know Richard Wallman at all, but when he reduced my cost of debt for school, I immediately call him my friend, right? I don't think that's too different from what we have here in Luke. In my case, Richard Wallman may be gifting scholarships because he wants to shield his own money from taxes, which many wealthy people do. It's shrewd. Yes, they care, but they need a tax shield. And guess what? I don't care. His initial motivation does not matter to me. He offered me something that literally changed the trajectory of my life. I will be eternally grateful to my Richard Wallman. And as I've gotten to know him over the last seven years, he has become a wonderful friend. I am the recipient of God's grace. Wherever you might find yourself in the story, the king, the manager, or the debtor, there is a win-win-win that is created by the manager's actions. Whatever role you see yourself in, know that God wants you to be in community, to have friends. God understands that many scholars have said is the reciprocity of friendship, the notion that you can't go at it alone and you don't have to do it either. It's humbling, but God uses our circumstances to reinforce our interdependency on each other. To be in community is a beautiful thing. And I think Luke leaves us with an important summarization that brings it all together in verse 13. And it says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both money and God. Wait, wait a minute. Is Luke saying that Jesus want, doesn't want us to have money? Absolutely not. He says you cannot serve both. Sometimes it seems like money is everything. I mean, come on, look at the world we live in. That's why Lord Song Royals become, became so popular. Y'all know the hook. I've never seen a diamond in the flesh. Mm. Then it goes on. And we'll never be royals. Y'all know it. Lord got tired of all the royals getting all the airtime and her fans applauded her for it. She subverted the narrative. And that leads me to my final point this morning. Who's calling the shots in your life, God or money? God knows that we have internal tension when there's no clear leader. All too often, the world places higher value on money than people. When we do serve money, we often create cycles of wealth disparity, disparity so that the very top has all and that the bottom has little. Sound familiar? This is the rhetoric of our day, not too different than in first century uh, where we find ourselves in this text. And we're all affected by this twisted sense of being. 
Well, I believe that God knows that money is a universal language. God knows that money is something that we ascribe value to. As Rich mentioned in his sermon a few weeks ago. But God also knows that as humans, we tend to ascribe more value to people who have more money than us. And since we tend to get our sense of worth worth for money, I think Luke is urging us to get our sense of worth, of worth from God. Listen, I believe in capitalism. I went to business school and our courses centered around making profit. I worked on Wall Street. And these are some shrewd people there who can make it rain. But I've also realized that I can get to an even higher level of living when I serve God first. Having friends, having more than enough, having wholeness, having God's grace, and guess what? Being loved. In getting these things, I have to constantly ask myself, am I furthering the community and thus God's kingdom with my wealth? with my status, with my resources? If the answer is yes, then I am serving God first. And when we all serve God first, we participate in this community of friends and are capable of utilizing our skills and position to further his kingdom, to change lives, to be his disciples, and we receive God's grace. Right now, you can rewrite the script for your own empire starring you. There will be no Lucius Lion like the character we see in the real empire show. There won't even be this shrewd manager who we find in the gospel of Luke. But we will find you in your own situation. And I hope that you too recognize that you are a disciple of God, that you can make friends through whatever station you find yourself as king, as manager, or as debtor, and that you can serve God over money. As we get ready for this Thanksgiving this week, I am grateful to be called a disciple, to be shrewd, to serve God, and to be right here in community with you, whom I consider my friends. I don't always get it right, but I want the same for you. Have mercy on me. Amen. Amen.